0: And welcome to another episode of Subliminally Correct. Taylor, what's up for today?
1: All right, so we've just had a very prominent and in some states highly contested midterm election. And now the results are out showing that the Democrats gained control of the House, but the Republicans made some gains in the Senate. And today we're going to look at some of what influenced the run up and the energy of the midterms and one speech in particular. Now, later on in this episode, we're going to take a look at some of the most interesting commercials and ads that were being run for candidates across the country in order to create this energy. But first, we're going to go all the way to Georgia, where Oprah hit the campaign trail for Stacey Abrams going door to door knocking on houses. And she gave a fantastic speech, which was very persuasive, you know, as might be expected, given her acclaim and skills as a host. So let's take a listen to this and really break it down.
2: I told her that I wanted to come to Georgia and lend my support. And she said, that'd be all right, that'd be just fine. And I told her, here's why I want to come, Stacy. because I've been reading about you. I've been reading about you in the Atlanta Journal. I've been reading about you in Time Magazine. I've been reading about you in the New York Times. And I've been watching you, and I've been seeing how you handle yourself. I've been watching you in the midst of the onslaught of haters and and and, and 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 vitriol that's thrown against you. I've been watching you, and you just keep a coming, keep a coming, keep a coming on. You keep a coming on, and 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 not only do you keep a coming on, you keep standing. You keep standing strong for the values that matter to me and the values that matter to Georgians all over this state. And keep it coming up.
1: So she starts off with this clip by describing her sensory experience of how she came to be there on the stage. Now, what's really interesting about this is that it's really hard to argue with someone's personal experience so she's just talking about what actually happened to her what she actually was experiencing so I've been reading about you I've been watching you I've been seeing so I've been watching you in the midst of this I've been reading about you in these publications and I've been watching you and you just keep a coming on like she has this way of just describing exactly what she personally experienced And she's also building up this whole idea of why she's there in the first place.
0: Yeah, I want you to really pay attention to her, you know, vocal intonation there. What she's got is sort of this barbershop, beauty salon attitude in her voice. really sounds like, you know, maybe one of your sisters down at the, you know, beauty salon talking about her day. And uh, that sort of thing is is building rapport with the people in the room. It's probably a very large African-American group probably more heavily women and she's really speaking to them and, and relating to them to get them on her side emotionally before she starts digging in and actually telling them to do stuff.
1: Yeah. And we notice the tempo of her voice. She has
0: this way of having a
1: cadence and a rhythm of her voice. The way in which she paces her voice also gains that rapport. And we've seen this with, you know, multiple uh, races in the midterms that and we're going to be looking, listening to some clips later on in which this happens where the tempo of the voice is very uh, important in that. And the other thing about this is she makes this reference back to, you know, keep a coming on. Now, that's a call back to gospel music, right? That's a call back to a cultural thing. And when someone makes a reference like that, especially as she's um, talking to a group of especially African Americans, as you know, was mentioned, that this is about gaining a sense of trust. This is about gaining a sense of commonality. So, when she says that, and they've also heard it in church, and she comes in with that uh, kind of barbershop or beauty salon attitude, as Alex is saying here, that it really gains that sense of trust. Like, we're on the same level, we're from the same community which, as we know, is part of what has made Oprah so successful is that she's just able to get through on a very personal level to people, even though she's on a TV screen, you know, in some uh, some particular area, not really next to them. But it kind of feels like she does. And these are some of the ways in which she's
0: doing that. All right. Now let's get to the next clip.
2: Today, because Stacey Abrams cares about the things that matter, she cares about Medicaid expansion. She cares about keeping families together. She cares about environmental protection for our children, so that so that they'll have clean water and won't be wearing oxygen masks ten years from now. She cares about common sense gun control. She does. doesn't want to take the guns from the people. This is Georgia. We know people want to hunt in Georgia. But, but but, since when have we lost common sense for common sense? She wants common sense gun control. She cares about affordable housing and she cares about criminal justice reform to protect our communities and creating jobs. So
0: now listen to hear uh, her voice here and how she is able to whip up the crowd into sort of a frenzy really quickly by using that repetition that she cares about, she cares about, she cares about, all of those things really rapidly as people cheer, but then she doesn't let them finish cheering as she says the next thing. So then they cheer more, and then she doesn't wait for that, and then more. Um, it's really a quite rapid and, and quite effective.
1: Yeah, she's like feeding the energy. It's it's this sense of, okay they they start to get up to that state and before it dies down, that's when she throws in the next thing that she knows that she, you know, that they care about. You know, we notice that that sense of vivid description. So, you know, she cares about the kids so that they have clean water so that they're not going to be wearing those oxygen masks. Right. That's a very uh, visual description of exactly what what could happen. And then again, calling back to that rapport, we hear her say that, you know, this is Georgia. We know that people want to hunt and you know, and she says the accent, the Georgian accent. And when you use an accent like that, that's a way of bringing back a sense of rapport so long as you can do it and not come across as offensive. So sometimes if a person tries to use an accent prematurely, they will say it and it kind of comes across like they're mocking them. But Oprah is able to do it in a sense where it's it's authentic she is able to say it in a way where it's kind of like that's part of her culture too that's part of her history as well and because of that she's able to get that connection even deeper with them even deeper and that's really again a recurring theme here throughout the whole speech is she's getting that connection she's getting that rapport and she is moving them in the direction of uh, moving them into the issues now
0: yeah and remember that Oprah's from Chicago like Right. She's not from Georgia. Where is all of this coming from, and how is she able to do it so easily? That's it. All goes down to these little bits of her building rapport through her voice and and her her affect. Now let's get to the next clip where we see a little bit more of that.
2: The reason I am a registered independent is because I believe that everybody should have the right to vote their values. And vote your conscience regardless of the party and I tell you I have voted Republican and I have voted Democrat and each time I voted I voted for the people who I felt represented my values so Stacey Abrams values are in alignment with the consciousness of which our democracy has been founded. The very foundation of our democracy is to think about other people, to live a life in service to others. Democracy democracy is not just about our individual rights and concerns and our individual protections, but rather it lives and thrives in making sure that everybody is lifted by the community. That everybody, it it lives because the baseline is not just what I want or what I need or what's gonna fill my pocketbook, but recognizing that what is good for everybody is good for us, it's good for us. And Stacey Abrams gets that, she gets that, she understands and she will serve the underserved of the state of Georgia.
0: All
1: right. So in this part of the clip, we really hear this identity of her saying how she's a registered independent. But even more than that, it's saying why. Why is she a registered independent? So each time I voted, this is a quote, each time I voted, I voted because of my values. And she really enunciates that word and stretches the word out. And as she's stretching the word out, you know, it reminds me of like a, you know, a history teacher or a, um, vice principal or something like that, teaching a lesson to young kids. And she goes into this is what democracy is about. And this is what democracy isn't about. It's not about my this and my that and my other thing. It's about all of us. And what's good for everybody is good for us is good for us. She repeats that. What's good for everybody is good for us is good for us. Now, one of the things about her communication style that is really, you know, quite nice is that she's able to go into detail and description when it is uh, useful and necessary, but then she brings it down to these just very basic core um, ways of thinking. So good and bad. Okay. What is good for everybody is good for us, but that's not defined, right? We don't know exactly what that means. It's just good and bad. And at a very basic level, you know, without the, you know, when people are in a sense of uh, fear or they're scared or they are under pressure, their world just comes down to what's good, what's bad, what is the right choice? What is the wrong choice? And they have these kind of dichotomies that are, that are set up. And so this is already, you know, what, what she's setting up, but also the message that she's giving here, you know, in terms of this, my Uh, what's good for me versus what's good for society, the second part of that message is going to appeal more to liberals. So this is about this whole idea of care versus harm, right? This whole idea of what fairness means is actually equality. Okay. It means that everyone is equal. And so she's She's moving into this sense of really appealing to that liberal base. This isn't necessarily a message that all conservatives would hear the same way. Um, She's able really to target who she's talking to in that particular way.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that I found most interesting was that some of the phrasing that she uses at the beginning, Stacey Abrams' values are in alignment with the consciousness of which our democracy has been founded. What does that mean? Well, she goes in to explain that democracy is a way of describing Stacey's values. like What what democracy means and all the things that you think of when you think of democracy are all the things that Stacey Abrams believes in. And what that does is nobody's going to say that democracy is bad. And so because people like democracy and because people like these these values, then you should like Stacey Abrams because she believes in all of these positive things that you already like. She's she's linking it, but in a very weird way, where if you actually stopped to ask yourself, what in the world is she saying? It doesn't really make much sense. But because you don't and because it's phrased in this very fluidic way Um, It all just sort of slips right in.
1: Yeah, and it's also going back to those themes of who is she appealing to, right? So just think to yourself, okay, which group is going to be more persuaded by terms like in alignment and words like consciousness? Okay, those are classic, you know, liberal words, and they're especially appealing to young young people. Um, And then you also have things that are going back to that whole history teacher thing of like values. Words like values. Well, you know, whose values specifically are we talking about? And words like democracy and uh, democracy being founded. Well, it brings you back to the first grade. It brings you back to, you know, thinking about it, you know, historically. And so whenever a politician or anyone who's using a persuasive message, is saying things in these very big generalized terms where you kind of think that you know what they're saying, but you don't really know. And the picture that gets formed in your head just kind of seems like they're an exact match with what you had in your head. Well, that's the moment in which you should start to question, hey, are they really talking about the same thing that I'm thinking about? Because when we talk about values being important, Whose values? You know, when we talk about, you know, the importance of democracy, you know, is, you know, Stacey you know, Abrams an exact, you know, um, a replica of democracy, or is this just a way of using a big idea and concept, which we all believe in, to then further, you know, the candidate's, uh, candidate's cause? Now, in this next clip that we're going to be listening to, this one goes even further into appealing to the liberals. And so just listen for that message. Listen to how she's talking to her audience. She she doesn't have to persuade everyone. She just needs to talk to her audience and get her people riled up. So let's go ahead and take a listen to this one.
2: Because you see, you see, here's the truth. All of us may have been created equal, but if you awoke, If you woke woke just a little bit, you got sense enough to know that everybody is not treated equally. The reality is this. The reality is we see injustices, big and small, all around us every single day of our lives. And I know it's easy for a lot of people to feel that you have no power against those injustices. But this is what I'm here to tell you this land was made for you and me this land was made for you and me that's not just a song that's the truth and 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 I will tell you I will tell you that we are not powerless every single one of us every single one of us has the same power at the polls And every single one of us has something that, if done in numbers too big to tamper with, cannot be suppressed and cannot be denied. As our civil rights predecessors used to say, we shall not be moved. So every single one of us has the same power at the polls. We have the ability to go into a tiny booth, or in my neighborhood it's not even a booth, just a little stand, and, 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 and every one of us, regardless of the color of our skin, it doesn't matter when you're there at the polls. We're the God we pray to, it doesn't matter who we choose to love, whether or not we graduated high school, or went to college, or how much money you have in the bank, or whether or not you have a pre-existing condition, or whether you're elderly, or whether you're not, whether you're developmentally disabled, doesn't matter at the polls. We are all equal in power. So on November 6th, on November six, you all here, you already got it. You got it. So now your job is to go out and let everybody else know how to get it. That you make your voice heard on November 6th. We have this incredible opportunity to make history. We have our inalienable right to vote because the one place where we're all equal, where is it? It's at the polls.
0: And so take a listen to some of the phrasing that she uses here. First, uh, she's talking, again, to a largely African-American audience. She is African-American, and it's Georgia. So she's continuing with that cadence and continuing with that vocal intonation. But what she starts doing here, she starts code-switching a little bit more. She starts using a little bit more of that language that uh, African-Americans might be a little bit more tuned into. So, uh, for example, when she's talking about uh, we are not powerless. Every single one of us has the same power at the polls. What she's doing there is it's 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 calling to an idea among a lot of um, a lot of African American families that equality is something that they should strive for, and that uh, you're just trying to you know keep up with the with the white people in the workplace or wherever you are. And especially with older African Americans, uh, it 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 brings back the, this idea that um, we've just got to um, just got to move on up to that next level, and how do you do that? Is by going to the polls, because the polls are the only places place or places where you are equal. And uh, if you want equality, if you want to be equal, then you have to go to the polls. You have to go and vote. And so it's really interesting, my, myself being African-American, to listen to this and sort of hear some of this coding go on right here because, you know, she's doing it really expertly. Yeah, and she takes that idea of if someone
1: believes that they don't have power or that they are not um, in a position of power or if they don't have the... um. The, the sense of maybe having as, as great of a, a standing in life or having come into life, you know, the same. She takes that belief and she flips it on its head. So she's proving it to them wrong. And she does it in this very, uh, you know, common sense kind of way. You know, it's all the same at the polls you know she she says it as if this is uh you know some preachers will do this they'll they'll just say it as if this is the the most common sense thing in the world but she makes that word very emotional very fun very childlike you know the polls it's like you're going to the polls and she has that implication there okay so you know it's that sense of all of us may have been created evil but dot 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 right if you woke and then she has that long pause. She doesn't actually, you know, say anything at that moment, but she lets everyone fill in their own, you know, ideas with with that. So all of us may have been created equal, but everybody is not treated equally. And that's something that is again that liberal message is designed for liberals, designed you know especially for African Americans, and to her her audience and the people who are listening to her. And so, again, we hear that sense of equality. We hear that callback to injustice, the sense of power, the sense of um, having equality. And she also brings it back to that idea of uh, the old, uh, you know, the first grade thing of, you know, this land was made for you and me. And that's that that callback to what's familiar. What is, you know, something they really think about, they really like, that's really, you know, fun for them. And. Doing this, this is something you'll you'll notice that a lot of really persuasive speeches or speech writers or politicians will do that as they're talking about the serious stuff, they'll then weave in something fun or funny or they'll weave in something historical or they'll weave in something common sense. They'll weave in an analogy. They'll weave in something that appeals more to the right brain than to the left brain. And so in doing that, it kind of engages all of a person. And that's when you start to get the enthusiasm. That's when you start to get the real uh, build-up of the energy of the crowd. All right. Now, in this next clip, we're going to hear Oprah really coming back to some of those very, very powerful devices, some things in which how she's using language to piece words together, uh, suffixes and prefixes and things like this, how she's going to be moving into metaphor and a very persuasive story that she tells that as she's starting off the story, it doesn't appear like very much, but much like many thematic stories, actually moves into a uh, bigger message. So this is a little bit of a longer clip, but it's really worth listening to, to hear how she actually formulates this and creates this in the mind of the listener. So let's take a listen to this one.
2: And I'm here today, and I'm here today because of the men and because of the women who were lynched, who were humiliated, who were discriminated against, who were suppressed, who were repressed and oppressed for the right, for the equality at the polls. And I want you to know that their blood has seeped into my DNA and I refuse to let their sacrifices be in vain. I refuse. And I'm here today. Don't let nobody turn you around. You can't let their sacrifices be in vain. I'm here today because like a lot of young people, I didn't take voters, voting seriously until around my mid-20s. And around my mid-20s, I had, had, the, had the privilege of hearing Reverend Otis Moss, Jr., who's a preacher. Y'all know him? Preacher. Preacher in, 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 in Cleveland, Ohio. And I heard him tell the story of his father, of Otis Moss, Sr., who right here in Georgia's troop county, got up in the morning and put on his only suit and his best tie. And he walked six miles to the voting poll location he was told to go to in LaGrange. And when he got there after walking six miles in his good suit and tie, they said, boy, you're at the wrong place. You're at the wrong place. You need to go over to Mountville. So he walked another six miles to Mountville. And when he got there, they said, boy, you at the wrong place. You need to go to the Rosemont School. And I picture him walking from dawn to dusk in his suit, his feet tired, getting to the Rosemont School, and they say, boy, you too late. The polls are closed. And he never had a chance to vote By the time the next election came around, he had died. So when I go to the polls and I cast my ballot, I cast it for a man I never knew. I cast it for Otis Moss Senior, who walked 18 miles one day just for the chance to vote. And when I go into the polls, I cast the vote For my grandmother, Hattie Mae Lee, who died in 1963 before the Voting Rights Act of 1965 and never had a chance to vote, I vote for her. And when I stand in the polls, I do what Maya Angelou says, I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. who paved the way that we might have the right to vote. And for anybody here who has an ancestor who didn't have the right to vote and you are choosing not to vote wherever you are in this state, in this country, you are dishonoring your family. You are disrespecting and disregarding their legacy their suffering and their dreams when you don't vote so honor your legacy honor your legacy honor your right to to citizenship in this which is the greatest country in the world the greatest country in the world
0: wow Listen to that right there. That is a lot of really powerful language, especially, especially at the end there when she's tying it all together and telling them what it means to not vote. It's incredibly motivational, incredibly inspiring,
1: right? And she she's a great storyteller. You know, we got to give Oprah credit. She's an amazing storyteller. You know, she starts off talking about, well, the first thing she starts off with this clip is, you know, she explains, hey, why are you here? you know, Oprah, why are you here in Georgia? Because some people say, well, she's going to run or she's, you know, testing the water or she's doing this. She says, no, I'm here today because I'm not this, not that. And then she kind of gets them warmed up and she says, no, I'm here because of Stacey Abrams. And, you know, we hear that, that sense of, um, you know, the the wording suppressed, repressed, oppressed, and, uh, you know, that that very powerful, you know, sense of using words that that sound similar to that, similar to each other, as a way of knocking in that point. And that's repetition, that's cadence, that's that's uh, drumming in an idea to the subconscious mind. And you know, then we hear that that powerful metaphor with um their blood has seeped into my DNA and I refuse to let their sacrifices be in vain. You know, this reminds me, you know, all the way back to our episode that we did on the NPR segment uh, of Connor Lamb versus Rick Sacone in the Pennsylvania special election that we had the nurse there, Rosie Bigley. And, you know, she said um, she was saying, you know, in there that I don't want you know, it was about blood, you know, and she said it was it was about the blood of the election. And she she referenced that back there. And so this idea of blood. If you remember, you know, back then, for those of you who are listening, we were really talking about how much of a powerful metaphor this is and how it really, you know, gets gets you into that place because it's very visceral and it's very real. Now, as Oprah starts to move then into this, you know, Otis Moss Sr. story, she she tells it in such a way where she really emphasizes the mundane details. Right. So it's his only suit and his best tie. And he walked six miles and they told him, boy, you at the wrong place. And he walked another six miles and they told him, you know, the same thing. And she references it again and again and again and again. Um, and so we hear her building that up, you know, with this very you know, powerful storytelling ability. And at one point she actually gets really emotional, right? You know, I, I picture him walking dawn to dust in the suit, his feet tired. And at that point, she's almost like her voice is cracking up, almost like she's got tears in her eyes. And, you know, you're too late. The polls have closed. And, uh, you know, then she wraps it up in this really very powerful way as she's, you know, saying about what exactly does that mean? What does it mean that the, that the polls have closed? What does it mean, you know, about this? And I mean, you know, listening to this, like Alex, as you listen to this, doesn't that kind of make you a little bit more like, whoa, this like voting thing actually is important. Like that's really a, a powerful story. I mean, what was your you know reaction to that?
0: What goes through your mind when you're listening to that, of course, is you're picturing it stage by stage, exactly what Taylor said right there. And so by taking people who might have mem- similar memories themselves of discrimination, And walking them through maybe a more amplified, a worse uh, example of discrimination. And going step by step through it, you can't really, you you can't help but imagine all of that in your head. But then you can't argue with it because it's a story. It's just what uh, Oprah is saying happened to this person that you can't say no that's not how it works at all this isn't this isn't true that that never happened it isn't right no it's it's to be accepted as truth at facial value and i don't think anybody is analytically picking it apart and then she manages at the end right there to tie it all together and and put a nice little bow on it and really uses some of uh, what I thought was a little bit of a, a Trumpian tactic. Remember, in a, uh, one of our episodes about Trump, he did a lot of that uh, that negative uh, motivation, talking about how if you don't vote, all of this is going to go away. It's going to be your fault. It's going to be your fault if you don't vote. And what she's doing here is she's saying, no, if you don't vote, you're dishonoring everybody who had an experience just like this. You're going to have to you're going to have to look Mr. Otis in the eye and tell him, you know, that he died in vain.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You're disrespecting your family. You're dishonoring. And she creates just this massive shame. It's like, you know, everyone here who doesn't vote and this is the way you should think about people who don't vote. And again, you know, she's talking to this particular type of audience. Like that can't be understated. And that's why, you know, I keep repeating it over and over again here is that who she's talking to makes so much, so much difference because these are people who likely, you know, can see, yeah, like that's what happens if you don't vote and, you know, looking at all of what was, um, you know, fought, all of the, the people who really fought to defend that right for you, all of, you know, in various forms, right? Um, you know, civil rights protesters, you know, uh, veterans, some, you know, the, the, the people who formed the, the founding fathers who formed it, you know, in all of these forms, how this system has been set up to really, you know, serve you. And so if you don't do that, Well, you're really, you know, uh, not a very good person is kind of what she's saying. And she's just kind of putting this this massive sense of internal shame, but also a little bit of guilt there for them, you know, also. But then at the end, right after she has done this, and this is, you know, I agree it is a very, you know, Trumpian tactic because Trump does the same thing. He makes them feel really, really bad. And then at the end. What does she do? She brings it up. She moves her tonality more upbeat. Her pitch goes up and she says, you know, so honor your right, honor your legacy. And she moves back into that very motivational framework of saying, you know, but I know that you already know that. So, you know, go and be all that you can you know, be. Be, you know, be the truest version of yourself that that you are.
0: So now let's get into the next clip here.
2: And the right to vote is like 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 the crown we all get to wear. Maya used to say, baby your crown has been paid for, so put it on your head and wear it. So your crown's been paid for. The right to vote is your crown. So this is a tight race here in Georgia. This is tight. And there are tight races all over this country that depend on all of us giving honor to our greatest democratic right and privilege. So let your vote make a difference. Let your vote count. Let your vote speak for you. If you're a woman, let me just talk to the women for a minute. If you're a woman, you need to recognize it hasn't even been 100 years since we even had the right to vote, since we were considered a piece of property. You couldn't even own a piece of property. I love land so much and I think, boy, if I was born at at the turn of the century, 20th century, I wouldn't even have the right to own the land without your father or your husband saying it was so. You didn't have the right to even take care of yourself. So you didn't have a voice and now we do. We as women, women people, we as women people need to stand united and vote our values. Vote your values. Vote your conscience. All this noise, all the noise, you just can't get away from it. You turn on the TV on the way, it's so much noise and crazy talk. All the vitriol in the ads, you know what? They are designed to confuse and confound you with fear. That's what they're done. They're designed to confound you with fear. They are not designed for people with discernment. Women, people, we have discernment. And when you know the right thing and you can feel it, you can feel what is the right thing to do, you can't be influenced by propaganda and fear. So now is the time for discernment. And only when we unite as sisters, and I don't just mean sisters, I mean sisters, black sisters, brown sisters, white sisters, Asian sisters, LGBTQ sisters. when we all unite i know for sure a change is gonna come
0: what we see right here is her really drilling down into the identity of these uh african-american women right there and she uses the phrasing women people uh women people and she really keeps on and saying that over and over again but in different ways to sort of emphasize the people portion of it and the vote and the equality and the the uh, women people, we have discernment. All of that right there is 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 striking at an identity politics. Yeah. And as she says there in the
1: in the beginning of that clip, if you're a woman, let me speak to all the women here. And what happens there is that Everyone who's male in the audience just kind of sits back and continues listening, of course. But everyone who was female in the audience goes, wait, you know, they kind of lean in because they go, wait a second. Maybe she's about to say something really, really important. You know, she she, uh, you know, uh, aims it, you know, directly to them. And, you know, so we have this women people, you know, we're discernment. um, Only we unite as sisters. Right. And she has this idea of what is it like to be a sister? What does that mean? And we hear this repetition, right? Vote your values, vote your conscience, vote for what you believe in. And then at the end, she's moving into this, you know, we know that a change is going to come and that's very preacher like, you know, that's very, um, inspirational. It's, it's almost as though she were giving this, you know, same speech in a congregation, you know, if people come together to worship God, like that's, that's the same, you know, type of thing in which she could be, uh, could be doing here.
0: There's one more point in here that I want to point out, and that is how she talks about the media and the system and how it's designed to confuse and confound you with fear. What she's doing there is not, again, not unlike Trump. Uh but it's sort of playing to those conspiracy theorists, maybe the Bernie Sanders wing, the uh the the, the sort of uh Trumpish kind of let's all, you know. Uh, not believe the fake news and don't believe what they tell you. That's one way to look at it. And then on the other hand, it's also sort of playing to a, uh, a a belief within the African-American community that the system is set up to not allow you to vote and to confuse you by sending you to different polling places to tell you that election day is on another day, that all of these things um, are also set up to disenfranchise you. And so it's sort of speaking on, on two tracks right there that speak to different ends of the audience that might be listening. And so uh, I think that's really important to point out.
1: Now in this next clip, she's going to go ahead and sum it all up and she's going to link all of this energy that she has just brought up into, uh, into the room here. And she's going to link it right now to Stacey Abrams. Let's hear this part.
2: I'm here today to support a change maker. She's a woman who dared believe that she could change the state of Georgia. And she is dynamic, she is so inspired and inspiring. She's bold, she's bold. She's bold and bodacious. She's a Georgia warrior woman. Ladies and gentlemen, Stacey Abrams.
1: And so here, right at this last, you know, bit, uh, she's linking the whole thing to Stacey Abrams and the music comes on and Stacey walks on stage and then Oprah and Stacey are sitting on a stage, you know, very similar to Oprah's talk show format, you know, with the chairs and the seating and, and and that's very familiar. But notice this. Throughout this whole speech, how much did she really spend talking about Stacey Abrams or her platform? Most of it was just about values. She was telling stories. She was talking about the importance of voting. She was using metaphor. She was doing all of these things around uh, the election process. But how much did she actually talk about Stacey Abrams? Not really that much. And yet she got the crowd just whipped into this incredible, incredible frenzy.
0: Yeah, that's really important because she's channeling that energy, that enthusiasm and that excitement into the candidate, it really could be anybody that she's talking about. Because again, she didn't talk about the platform, and she didn't really go into very many specifics about Stacey herself. So this could be anybody or anything, but now it's all getting linked right to her. So... Uh, I think it's really important to see exactly how she wraps that up and how she ties all of that emotion and all of that en- energy and excitement. And
1: so that's really useful to know about how is it that politicians are persuading people? They're doing it with emotion. They're not necessarily doing it with logic. Okay, they're not doing it based on the issues. They do it emotionally. And we you know we've we've said this in uh, most of the podcasts in which we've done how how all the ways in which this is happening. Um, in this next clip that we're going to be listening to, you know, Stacey Abrams in the Georgia governor race um, ran against Brian Kemp and Brian Kemp is a known Trump supporter. In other words, really supported you know Donald Trump. And we're going to hear how in this ad and this ad that Brian Kemp uh, is doing that it's really mostly about identity politics. It's really mostly about his relationship with Trump. And just just hear how much he talks about that and how much of the emotion that he puts in uh, versus the actual issues. So let's go ahead and take a listen to that one. I'm Brian Kemp. I'm so conservative, I blow up government spending. I own guns that no one's taking away. My chainsaws ready
2: to rip up some regulations I got a big truck just in case I need to round up criminal illegals and take them home myself yep I just said that I'm Brian Kemp if you want a
1: politically incorrect conservative that's me
0: <laughs> and what is he what is he trying to do here right is this doesn't really again say anything but it's really trying to get you ev- evoking emotions um, from people so that people who agree with him are like, yeah, I like that. That's really funny. I think that's really cool. And then they side with him. Um, and he doesn't really lose a lot by alienating people who didn't really want to vote for him anyway.
1: Yeah. Cause I like trucks and uh, guns and chainsaws. And so if I like all that stuff, then Brian Kemp must be my guy. And he supports the president too, so he he must be my guy. It's like, but what do we know about his policy? What do we know about the specifics of his policy? But we know that doesn't matter. You know, when Donald Trump ran for president, he didn't give specifics on his policy on a number of different things. He just said, you know, we're going to get the best people. We're going to get the best regulations. We're going to get the best, the best, the best. But he didn't give specifics or really, you know, nail it down. And there's something... Uh, Really powerful about that, which is that when you don't give specifics, then people can fill in their own specifics and they can't hold you to task for anything in what you're saying. And so you just kind of hold the day based on the emotion and the whole identity of the thing. You know, Brian Kemp is saying, Hey, I'm kind of this Southern guy who likes Southern guy things. And so if you like those things too, then you should, you know, vote for me. And we don't really know what is that he's actually, you know, going to do.
0: This next clip that we've got is Bob Menendez, and this is all about Trump in New Jersey, which if you think about it, Bob Menendez running an anti-Trump ad in New Jersey, it's gotta be pretty effective. So let's listen to this one. I'm Bob Menendez and I approve this message. Trump and Hugen, it's way more than a handshake. Bob
1: Hugen was Trump's top New Jersey fundraiser. Hugen stood by Trump's tax breaks for the super rich while stripping our property tax deduction. Hugan stood by Trump's Supreme Court picks. Hugan stood by Trump when he tried killing Obamacare, attacked women, and made racist comments. Bob Hugan will never stand up to Trump. To stop Trump, stop Hugan.
0: This is a great example of of an ad here that takes national issues and makes it local, and takes local issues and makes it national. We've got everything from the local property tax which is huge which is huge for uh issue for local voters ca- who care about their home and especially like wealthier white voters who might be supporting him to tie that into Trump and the Republican um cutting that that tax deduction is really really big and it uh brings it in in a way that you're almost blaming Uh, you're blaming your opponent for all of the things that Trump did. And in some place like New Jersey, that's, you know, has a lot of blue voters. uh, It's pretty effective.
1: Yeah, it's all about, hey, if you don't like Trump, then, you know, vote for the other side. And, you know, we notice these two types of ads. You know, one is for a candidate, for inspiration, for... Uh, gaining something, right? Here's what the policy is, and this is why you should like me and you should vote for me. And the other one is against another candidate, you know, the attack ads or the, you know, sense of putting another candidate kind of in their place. And because, you know, Trump is not popular in New Jersey, the, you know, ad was, you know, pretty effective. And, you know, Bob Menendez did, in
0: fact, you know, go and win that race. Now, this next ad is an ad against Joe Manchin from Patrick Morrissey, and this is really important. I want you to listen to the themes because it's all about abortion.
1: The details are shocking. Planned Parenthood employees caught bragging about harvesting body parts from aborted babies. Very good
0: at hard, liver, we know that. You, so I'm not going to crush that part. I'm going to I just
1: get out senator joe manchin's response
2: i voted to fund planned parenthood i will vote to fund
1: planned parenthood manchin votes to fund planned parenthood america's largest abortion business he doesn't share our values vote no on joe manchin
0: and so now hear what is said in that it's all tying abortion and planned parenthood to joe manchin Now, what's interesting is because there's just a lot of, like, loaded language in there where uh, Planned Parenthood is a baby-killing organization. And then it has Joe Manchin talking about how he's not going to cut funding for Planned Parenthood. And so... One little clip taken out of context. Right. It so easily ties... Planned Parenthood's quote-unquote baby killing to Joe Manchin without any explanation, without any real context for any of it, and even uses clips that we know were taken out of context and, and weren't really accurate, but none of that is said, and it's all tied together really quickly, so you don't really have a whole lot of time to think about it. If this was in, you know playing in the background while you're making dinner, you might not sit down and critically analyze any of it.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we just notice how important it is, you know, to activate that emotion within people to notice the actual impact of it, because sometimes people will hear a clip like that and go, well, I'm not going to be persuaded by that. But in actuality, we know that they are right. We know that they are persuaded by things like that, that if you hear that in the background, as you know, you're doing something else, that that type of message is getting in. So you kind of think about the you know, dead, unborn babies. And then it's like Joe Manchin. And then you think about that and then they say his name again. And if that runs again and again and again and again, over time there starts to become an association and there starts to become a question so that then when you come across... You know, some of the people who might believe the same way in your life and you start to have the discussion with them and they say, yeah, but Joe Manchin believes in, you know, killing babies. You go, well, you know, I've kind of heard about that and maybe you're right. And so it just starts to eek the the sense of a particular, you know, uh, affiliation. It, start, it, it starts to take the sense of one particular candidate and your affect toward them and starts to move it in the direction ever so slightly. And again, we know, you know, a lot of these races are, are pretty close. You know, that was a fairly close race in West Virginia and uh, the races being so close. Really, all you need is a few people, you know, over over the uh, the whole the whole state to be able to, to think differently about it, and you're going to notice a drastically different race outcome.
0: Alright. Well, I think that's about all that we've got time for this week. Remember, you can go online to our website, subliminallycorrect.com, and leave us some comments, leave us some feedback, and uh, we can get to some of that on the air. You can head on to Twitter and tweet at us at Subliminal Pod. And While you're checking out our stuff online, be sure to head on over to our Patreon page. That's where you can support us for as little as three bucks a month just to buy us coffee and keep this podcast on the air. All right. Well, that's it for today and we'll see you all next time.